the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. All right, let me get started. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com. And the USA Today NFL Wire site covering the Arizona Cardinals. And we are it is yet another one of our 14 opponent preview shows um, over the next couple of weeks. And I, the, I'm recording these in kind of whatever order, and so I don't know which ones will get, re- will get published. So I'm not going to give you the, the number of the episodes. That'll just be on the episodes. But we, we are now taking a look at the Baltimore Ravens, who the Cardinals face at home in Week 8. And joining me... On the show is another one of the managing editors of our sister sites, Kevin Ostreicher from uh, the Ravens Wire, and this is the first time I've met him on uh, some of these guys on the NFL Wire. Um, I've had a lot of interaction over the last seven years, and others. Uh, you're just passing contact on Slack, and this is the first face to face with Kevin. So nice to meet you, man. Yeah, nice to meet you too, Jess. A little wire-to-wire crossover. I appreciate you having me on, and I know I'm ex- all the games. You know, you can say, "Oh, this this game's going to be good. This game's going to be bad. Maybe a sneaky good game, depending on if Kyler's back or not." That's, but of course, we'll see what happens. That's the thing. If I personally believe he will be by then, uh, he'll he'll have gotten a couple of game um, games under his belt by then. But Kyler versus Lamar should be a fun one if both are if both are healthy. Oh, yeah. That'll be that'll be electric. <laughs> so so let's take let's take a look back at the 2022 season. Um, a Ravens team that was you know honestly the defense was quite good. Uh, they finished ten and seven, finishing second in, in the division, and they did it without Lamar Jackson down the stretch. Uh, did last season meet expectations? How, how did it perf- like obviously the end didn't wasn't good but did did last season's performance match what was kind of hoped or did it fall short i think in a way it probably fell short this is a team that you know just for the ravens they have not made the afc championship game since they won the super bowl back in 2012 2013 so there's been a lot of wild card exits divisional exits not making the playoffs so I think when you looked at Baltimore's expectations going into the year, Lamar's in his year five, obviously a contract year for him. But there were some questions, particularly about, well, is J.K. Dobbins going to come back by week one? Is Gus Edwards, Marcus Peters? They had a lot of injuries in 2021. It was one of the worst injury seasons I've ever seen from a team. So guys were coming back. But then they went really young at wide receiver. They, they traded, obviously, Marquise Brown to Arizona, and they didn't draft another wide receiver. They instead went with their shot. Bateman is their n- number one, pretty much Devin Duvernay is their number two. And by the end of the year, both those guys were done for the season and they were relying on 36 year old Deshaun Jackson, a second go around with Sammy Watkins. And, and they've kind of put themselves in the situation where even if Lamar was back, who knows if it would have been a great run for him. Now I will say there weren't a ton of expectations going into the playoff game against Cincinnati because everybody thought, Oh, well the Bengals are just going to run him <laughs> over. There's no Lamar. And then they were pretty much, I argue, if Tyler Huntley did not fumble on the goal line and it was returned, the Ravens probably would have won the game because the two times oh, that they that, played Cincinnati. That play I just remember. Yeah. Oh, my uh-huh. God. Literally one yard away from, I think, winning that game and shocking the world. 
So there was at least some solace, like, oh, they almost beat the Bengals with everybody on the Bengals side pretty much healthy, you know, albeit a few guys injured. But the Ravens without Lamar, without the two wide receivers. But I think at the end of the day, 10 and 7 wasn't what people were expecting. I think they were expecting more of a fight. And I guess they were in the division race up until the final couple of weeks. But I think with the injuries going on and with everything, I think it fell a bit below expectation. What were the bright spots overall? Uh, obviously, we can look at the low lights again. Lamar getting hurt towards the end of the year, um, which which raise it, it's one of those things that raises questions about the the durability or, or the the reliability of a player like Lamar same thing with Kyler Murray um the low light like obviously would be the injuries but what were the bright spots that you saw in 2022 I think there were a couple that you could kind of take into next season I, I kind of look more defensively the offense it sputtered out the first three weeks. Lamar looked like the MVP of the league and then kind of fell off after that. But defensively, Mike McDonald, his first season as an NFL defensive coordinator coming over. Well, he was with the Ravens for a while, went to Michigan for a season, had a great year there, then came back and was the Ravens defensive coordinator. He started off a bit slow and had to kind of get his bearings across the league is kind of, oh, this is what play calling is in this league now, the professional setting. But the way the defense ended the season was spectacular. They got Roquan Smith in a deadline deal with the Chicago Bears, and he seemed to be just what they needed on that on that side of the ball. Him and Patrick Queen playing together in tandem. That's a group that, you know, I don't think Baltimore's trading Patrick Queen. It is a contract year. I don't expect him back next year. But at least this year, there's a lot to like in terms of what they can do together with Roquan having a full offseason. In the secondary, Kyle Hamilton was a huge bright spot for them. Now, there wasn't really a ton of players they could play in the nickel last year. They had to play Hamilton kind of as a big slot guy, but he's versatile enough where he did that really well, and now with Chuck Clark gone, he's going to probably move back to a safety role, but Hamilton's versatility was a great bright spot. Marcus Williams was one also. Now, he it was kind of a dark cloud because he got injured in uh, really early on in the year, but had like three interceptions in two games. It was a great signing for them. And him with a full offseason is great too. So I think defensively, the way that they ended the year, I think was a huge bright spot for them. And then some of the growth that some of the guys experienced on offense with the injuries to some of the players, we got to see a couple of guys shine in roles that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Tyler Linderbaum was one where no injury, he was the starting center through and through, but he had a really great year. It is The Ravens have kind of cycled through centers a lot. So I expect a great year defensively and them kind of taking the momentum and the bright spots from last year into what they have this year. Were there any, aside from the injuries, any any lackluster, anything disappointing of what from what you saw aside from the injuries? I would say Adafi always season last year was pretty disappointing to a lot of people. Justin Houston came in and was absolutely unbelievable. So he had an incentive, the story he had an incentive for 10 sacks. If he hit 10 sacks on the year, he would get, I think it was a million or a million and a half bonus. He had nine sacks oh. in his first like eight games and then only had 0. 0.5 the rest of the oh, year. No. So he missed no. out by 0. 0.5. It, it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it where he, he was so close and he had such a great start to the year. And I don't know whether it was the wear and tear on his body because he's getting older. I don't know what it was. But aside from Houston, Owe was supposed to be the guy. Yeah, had five sacks his rookie season, first round pick in 2021. He was supposed to take a leap and instead five sacks in his rookie year, only two sacks last year and just didn't seem to put everything together. And I think it was a step back for him. Now, I will say he ended the year better than he started it. I think he gained some momentum as the year ended. But for a lot of people, I think they were expecting a lot more. You know, I talked all, all throughout the offseason about how, oh, it was going to be an X factor for them. He was set up for a huge year. 
And then, and then it just didn't happen. Houston had to kind of carry that load. And then when he fell off towards the end of the season, Owe couldn't do enough to pick it up. And I think that's where we saw kind of a lackluster pass rush. And now just a preview, they've lost 18 sacks. Houston's not back. They lose Clayus Campbell, Jason Pierre, Paul, a couple others. Oh, it's a big year for Owe again this year. So hopefully it goes a bit better than it did last year for him. Why do you think the, the Ravens were willing to trade Hollywood Brown last year? when they really didn't have anyone else in the receiver room that you could really rely on? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And I know when the trade happened, I'll never forget it. I was doing a, a live hit for the, for Locked On Podcast Network where I host Locked On Ravens. But, you know, they said, oh, we'll see you again at pick whatever it was, 23. And I'm like, what do you mean pick 23? They don't have pick 23. And I'm like, yeah, they do. They, tra- <laughs> they traded Marquise Brown. And I'm like, you're joking. <laughs> it was out of nowhere. And I give a lot of credit to both Baltimore and Arizona for keeping it so quiet. I don't think anybody knew that it was going on. And I think that was one of the parameters of the deal. Like, it could not be made known to the public until it actually happened. But then Marquise Brown, after the deal, I think it was a day or two after, said that he he wanted to be a part of something and wanted to feel a part of the offense. And, and I think it, it wasn't about Lamar. Obviously, we know the connection that Kyler and Hollywood have. Yeah. But Lamar and Hollywood also have a connection, you know, be, being friends from Florida and having that. So it was, it was more about the offense. And you're right. They didn't really have another option. Marquise Brown was by far the most proven guy there. But with him nearing the contract extension talks and – with the offense being the way it was, it was not a receiver-dominant passing offense. The pass offense under Greg Roman ran through the tight ends and ran through the running backs, and it was a run-dominant offense. So with Marquise Brown wanting to feel like he was a part of this, he went to Baltimore and pretty much said, you know, can you trade me somewhere where I feel like more a part of the team? And Arizona, obviously, with DeAndre Hopkins already there and with Kyler in that offense, that, that was the deal. I think Baltimore made out decently well in it. They got a first for him, and that was fine. But at the end of the day, I think that it was more the Ravens. They, they've done right by their guys who have requested out. Hayden Hurst requested out because he wanted to be. He wanted to have a bigger role. They trade him to Atlanta. Orlando Brown Jr. wanted out. He wanted to play left tackle. They trade him to Kansas City. It was the same thing here with Marquise Brown. Even Chuck Clark this offseason requested out, and they traded him to New York. Now Lamar's request did not go as planned for you know him <laughs> obviously signing with the Ravens. And I feel like that, that was that more. Was of more a, that hey, was a business move. That that exactly. that was kind yep. of par for the course because. I don't though. I forgot. Well, who's no? He doesn't have an agent. Um, but, <laughs> but that is kind of the when you don't get the extension right away, you ask for trade. That that's just yep. that's just how that goes yep. in the NFL. Well, Debo did it in San Francisco last last off season, and then and, got know, his big got, contract. He got his extension. Yeah. <laughs> so for for Lamar, that was the one. But more, you know, to make a long story short, the Ravens they do right by their guys. Marquise Brown wanted to be part of, I think, an offense that fit his skill set more, that probably threw a little bit more in Baltimore granted his request. And, you know, I think that they didn't want to trade him, but I think they didn't they wanted to avoid maybe a messy situation if it got to that point. Or giving him the contract in an offense that, you know, now it's Todd Monk and it's a different story, but the Greg Roman offense, it wouldn't have been worth paying a receiver, whatever deal that, you know, Marquise Brown would have gotten with the Ravens if they paid it to him. Coming up next on the Rise Up Series podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on to the offseason, talk about coaching changes, the contract deal, free agents, the draft. That's coming up next on Rise Up Series. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best hair Cardinal stock on the web, talking to Kevin Ostriker from Ravenswire.com, uh, one of our sister sites. He's the managing editor there, talking about the Cardinals' well, eight, week eight opponent at home, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, we talked about the 
the, the last season. Let's move on to the offseason. They, they made a change at offensive coordinator. What do you see changing offensively for them this coming season? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot. We're going to see kind of a shift. Now, it's not going to be a, an 100% like 180 or anything. They're still going to run the ball. And I think, you know, everybody who watches football knows the Ravens were a run-first team. They were a ground-and-pound offense. You use Lamar's ability both with his arm and with his legs, play-action work. But now under Todd Monk, and the thing that I think so many people are excited for here in Baltimore is the fact that over the course of his both NFL and college coaching tenures, he's had the ability to kind of use guys in the way they're supposed to be used. And what I mean by that is I think last year under Red Roman, we saw too much of Patrick Ricard in the slot running routes as a receiver where <laughs> you, you could maybe use another guy in that role. And look, no, no disrespect to Patrick Ricard. I, seriously, no disrespect to him. But personally, and I'm no offensive coordinator, right? We're, I'm not doing that. But I would have maybe used the guy in the slot there that could, you know, be a better receiver out of the backfield, at least. Maybe adjust the sales of running back. So I think the roles will be a bit more defined, but more so the receivers are going to be more involved. And we're going to see the Ravens open up the offense throwing. Todd Monk and Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh, they've all said... They're handing the keys over to Lamar. Lamar is very excited about that. He's spoken to the media about it. And there's just, there wasn't enough trust, I think, between Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson, especially in the later years. Because I think for most, you know, whether it's second year, third year, fourth year guys, we see some sort of, oh, we're going to let you have some freedom at the line. You know, we'll, we'll let you audible out of this. We'll let you move a guy in motion here. There wasn't enough of that. And this is Lamar's sixth season, and I don't think he's had enough of that right now. Also, the fact that the Ravens, Lamar didn't have an opportunity to really see what was going on because the Ravens would get to the line so late. The play calls would come in from Greg Roman so late that they'd get to the line. And it was, you know, play clock was at three already. And Lamar had to kind of scramble and be like, oh, like, okay, set hike, let's go. So I think just organization on the offense is going to be better. But this team still is going to run the ball uh, probably a fair amount. Now, I don't think it's going to be the levels we've seen over the past four seasons. But I think the thing that's going to be most effective from that is Lamar's carries. I think we're going to see Lamar put into a position where he's not going to run the ball as much. Now, he's so good at it, you, you don't want to take it out of the offense completely. But he is a player that he has been very vocal about, yeah, you know, I'm excited to throw the ball more. I want to throw the ball more. And look, why not, right? He's a quarterback. Of course, he wants to throw yeah. the ball more. He's good at doing it. But I think that Lamar's carries will go down. I think we'll see this be more of J.K. Dobbins' backfield as opposed to Gus Edwards. Now, there, it's very rare to find a bell cow nowadays, so I don't think we're going to see J.K. Dobbins 100% have the carries. But Gus Edwards... Maybe he'll be the second option as opposed to 1B, and J.K. Dobbins will be the first option. But I'm excited, and you can still work in heavy personnel looks with Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, Charlie Colder as their tight ends. You can put Ricard on the field, but we'll see the the offense probably spread out four wide. You can put Andrews in the slot. They've added Zay Flowers. They've added Odell. They've surrounded Lamar with weapons. And to me, that's the biggest change because, you know, here in Baltimore, we've been working with, you know, the the, Jeremy, the old Jeremy Macklins, the Michael Crabtrees, Des Bryant, Sammy. I could go on and on and on about these guys but now they have i think a really solid group of receivers and i'm excited to see him it does so the, the the flip side of that how much did lamar need that protection in terms of throwing the ball because we know he has the arm talent is he ready to to sling it around like a burrow like a mahomes like a lot of these other quarterbacks he was obviously in Jalen Hurts. We saw the same thing. The the offense was built for him in a way that sort of protected him in terms of the passing game. Do you believe that he will be able to do just as special things as a passer, and not just in the design play action, but within a, a you know what is the norm of an NFL passing game? 
Yeah, I, I say yes, but I will say one area that has to get better is the deep ball accuracy, deep ball accuracy, especially from when it was last year. Lamar was like a fi- he was a fine deep ball passer for the first three four years as a starter, both in his career. But then last year he was either you know third worst, second worst, worst in a lot of deep ball metrics. And we saw throughout the season he was missing wide open guys, wide open. There was a sequence in Week Five against Cincinnati he missed two wide open like thirty yard touchdowns in a span of three plays. He overshot both guys and the Ravens still won that game. So no harm, no foul at the end of the day, <laughs> but you, you want to see that get a little bit better. I will say Lamar's decision-making has improved a lot. 2021 was, I think an off decision-making year from him. 2022 was a lot better. And look, every quarterback makes mistakes. I'm not going to say, Oh, Lamar made one mistake here. His decision-making is terrible. That's not, not what it is at all. But I think that he does have the ability. And I think what so many people in Baltimore want to see is him just unleashed. He was never going to be unleashed in a Greg Roman offense. If it works, then great. But if not, then at least you tried it. You know, it was never going to be tried. But the thing is, even if you try it here, there's such a high probability of success with it because we've seen the arm talent and we've seen him make good decisions throughout his career. And even if the running goes down and they don't use the play action as much, which I don't think they will, you can still drop him back, and he has been one of the better pocket passers in the league. The stats and analytics back that up, and I know some people it, – it's interesting because him coming out of college, there were so many preset narratives, and he was raw coming out of college. I'm not saying he didn't need improvement in areas, but from what he was then to where he is now, some people are still going with the preset college narratives, and we're in year six of him as a pro quarterback. <laughs> so I think that's where a little bit of, oh, well, he can't throw, he can't throw – People just want to be in those narratives. So to me, I'm excited to see him. I think he can succeed in just a heavier style passing offense and with Munkin helping him. And I'm not saying like Munkin will guide him, but Lamar can do his own thing too. Like it's a tandem between those two and there just wasn't that connection on the field, which I I think led to less confidence for Lamar. Lamar's confident in himself, but I just think within the offense, he wasn't as confident with Munkin. I think that changes. Free agency. You mentioned a little bit, obviously they made, they made a couple big moves. Uh, one being Odell Beckham, obviously the, the the extension for Lamar Jackson. It took longer than we thought it would, but ultimately, ultimately, it was always going to get done. That that was always a case because other teams, because of the franchise tag, weren't. I mean, if they offered him a deal, the Ravens would have just matched. And trading, making that that trade for the capital it was, while it might be worth it, just when there were quarterbacks in the draft, it just didn't make sense. It it was always an inevitability. Now, who were the impact losses, and who else do they gain in the free agency that that will make an impact this year? Yeah, so Odell was definitely the big one in terms of additions. Now, it's funny because they also added Nelson Aguilar, which was like a second or third week. They didn't really do anything the first couple weeks, and then their first move was Nelson Aguilar in everybody like, here was we go so, yeah. yeah they're like all right here's the 30 year old washed up veteran sign they're not gonna do anything else and i said i said it i said this this cannot be the only move it can be a move i'm fine with it being a move but please but don't cannot... be don't please yes, be the exactly. number one exactly right you know you cannot trot him out there for like the fifth try of where we're going to try this vet. And look, they, they've they signed, they've gotten Derek Mason, they traded for Anquan Bolden, they've signed Steve Smith. Nelson Aguilar's not on that level. He's not even no. close to it. So the, the close to it level is Odell, where, who you know, there's a lot of questions about Odell. Is he going to come back from the injury well? How many games is he going to play this year? They're not getting prime New York Odell. I, I think that's long gone. But 
if they can get just a, a low-end one or high-end two, that's much better than Lamar has ever had combined with Bateman, combined with a Devin DuVernay, and they also drafted Zay Flowers. Now, other guys they've added, they've added a couple guys along the edges. The other big-ish signing was Rocky Asim. They signed him from Las Vegas to be their corner two. Marcus Pete is still out there, which honestly is pretty surprising. Did not play well last year for the Ravens, but... I thought at least some team would give him a flyer. Seems like Marcus Peters' money went to Rocky Asim. He he fits what they do on on defense, though. They like physical corners. Marlon Humphrey, one of the most physical corners in the league. Yasin is a former wrestling star. He's he's suplexed guys on the field before. Now he's gotten penalties for it. You know, it's not not gonna slide. But he he's that physical brand of corner that the Ravens like, and that to me is something that I'm excited to see with, with a one-two option of Humphrey and Yasin. Now key losses. Calais Campbell, I think, is probably the the, the biggest one. He was a veteran leader on that defensive line, both on the field and in the locker room. He's so good in the community. Did so many, you know, every stop he's been at, he's been so good in the community. Obviously, from his time in Arizona, yes. for, first off there, he's such a great player and obviously and such a great person. And productive on the field still, yeah, too. Yeah, for his age and his build, I mean, he's he's a behemoth of a man. And he he's going to get a lot done in Atlanta. Atlanta's going to have a, a lot of fun with him. Chuck Clark is the other one. Now, Chuck Clark, when he was with the Ravens last year. They ended up kind of shell-shocking him because they signed Marcus Williams with a five-year $70 million deal, and they drafted Kyle Hamilton with the 14th pick. So they added essentially two players in his position, which was the future of his position. And I think Chuck Clark was either looking forward to an extension or there was something with an extension. And drafting those two guys, that became a lot more unclear. So the rumors were that he actually wanted to be traded last offseason, but the Ravens didn't do it. So he he kind of sucked it up and played, but this offseason it was like, all right, time to it's time for me to go. And unfortunately for him, he got traded to the Jets for a seventh round pick and tore his ACL in practice. So he's already done for the season in New York. And for a guy who's been so durable, that's been pretty unfortunate. Marcus Peters, I mentioned, he's kind of the other one that they've lost, but not really too many big. I'd say the other offensive guy they lost, Ben Powers, signed a huge money deal with the Broncos. They have four or five offensive linemen returning from their room last year, starting wise. Ben Powers is the only one. He was not on my roster, my final roster prediction to, to end preseason. He made it, won the starting job, and then had a he he shut me up. He, great year from him. <laughs> got got rewarded in Denver. And that's what I like. That's what I want, right? I want these guys to prove me wrong and say, go out there and have great years and, and help your team win football games. So Powers is, is the other big money loss. Josh Oliver came onto the scene really well for them last year as a backup tight end. He signed in Minnesota. I just don't think they wanted to pay him. I think he got two years, 10 or two years, 12 million, or maybe it might've been three years, 20 something, but regardless, they, they weren't going to pay upwards of 5 million per year for him when they already have Isaiah likely and Charlie Kohler and obviously Mark Andrews too. So those are some of the key losses, but I'd say not, not horrible on the key losses and then key additions. I think they did a couple of solid moves to the draft. Um, six picks overall. The, the headliner, obviously you mentioned was Zay flowers out of Boston college in the first round. Trenton Simpson's linebacker Clemson in the third round, and then a bunch of guys that most probably don't recognize. Tavius Robinson, pass rusher at Old Miss, Caillou Blue Kelly, Stanford corner, uh, a tackle from Oregon who I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, and <laughs> Andrew, Vor- <laughs> Andrew Voorhees, uh, a, a guard out of USC who got, uh, if I recall, Voorhees got some pretty good attention um, at the, what was it, the Senior Bowl, wasn't it? The combo. He tore his ACL. The combo. Oh, that okay. That's that's what. And it then was. he it was he the did injury. he did the bench press reps. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what I remember from him. So uh, 
obviously Flowers is the one that's going to make an impact right away, ideally, and give them a, a very respectable trio of receivers with Odell, Aguilar, and now Zay Flowers, assuming he's going to be what they expect him to be. That gives them a really solid trio of receivers. Beyond Flowers, who is expected to contribute this year, and who are more projects or bit role players for year one? Yeah, I think all addition team for the wide receivers and, and Beckham, Aguilar, and Flowers. That it, The fact that they added those three guys to Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay, I, I was ecstatic that they took, say, Flowers. I would have been fine with Jordan Add. A lot of people wanted Jackson Smith and Jigba here, but I, he he was off the board. I, the, the way Christian Gonzalez was falling... I, I wanted them to trade up bad for Christian Gonzalez, but it was a uh, it was not meant to be. But Flowers, yeah, he's the headliner. He's going to be the guy that gets the most reps, gets the most action out of that rookie class by far. But down the list, a lot of those other guys are essentially projects. Trenton Simpson is somebody who, not exactly the same, but like the Zayvon Collins of the world, where he can play all over the place, or as Isaiah Simmons, he can play all over the place. They're different players. Like I'm not going to compare them. But the fact that we don't really know what Trenton Simpson's role is right now, because he could be a backup inside linebacker. He could play on the outside as an edge rusher. You could maybe play him deep as a safety. You could put him on the defensive line. He His slot alignment is so unique. And it kind of reminds me of these guys that are coming out essentially positionless. And you kind of just got to find a fit for where they are. The one who I expect to make the most impact outside of Zay Flowers might be Kyle Blue Kelly. He was a four-year guy at Stanford, two-year starter. He's one of those physical corners, too. He hits hard and is around the ball. Only four interceptions in four years, but had over 20 pass deflections. So still, like, he's an all-around-the-ball type of guy. Xavius Robinson needs a couple more years. The athletic traits are there, but I think just needs a little bit more time to actually, you know, learn the game of football in in a couple years. I think that's a pick they would hit on. And then we, we call him Salah in Baltimore. His, his full name's a little harder. <laughs> the guy out of Oregon's a little, little hard to pronounce. So Salah's actually interesting because he's a guy, the same thing with Xavius Robinson. You would, you would think, you know, he's a huge guy, has really good speed in space he can get out and also is a powerful run blocker plus he has an anchor in the pass game but you know very raw as a prospect but the Ravens have so much uncertainty at left guard right now they actually he was getting first team reps for them at left guard during the workouts OTAs mini camp and they tried a couple of guys Daniel Falele who they drafted last year Ben Cleveland who was a Georgia guy a couple years ago Hasn't really lived up to expectations, so maybe Salva gets that job. And Voorhees is, is a redshirt guy for them Obviously. because he towards he's he's probably not going to play this year. But the reports right after he was selected, I think Ian Rappaport, maybe a couple others reported this. They view him as a starter potentially even as soon as next year. So he could have the redshirt year off, fully healed from the injury. But it's almost like what they did with David Ajabo last year. He tore his uh, he tore his Achilles at his pro day. And he was slotted to Baltimore at like 14. Like they were going to take him in the first round. And, you know, Mike McDonald guy falls to the second round. Baltimore takes him and essentially redshirts him for a season. And now he's setting up for hopefully a big year this year. Voorhees could be the same thing, albeit less of a risk because you're spending a, you know, a seventh rounder versus right. second rounder in this case. But it, it's a big pick. So it, it's very different from what we've seen here for the last couple of years. The Ravens have had like 11 picks and then 10 picks. And so I'm thinking there's no way they're going to keep all their picks and not make a move. And they almost did. They ended up trading, I think, a sixth next year to Cleveland for the pick to get Voorhees. But it, it was a nice little, <laughs> it was relaxing considering what I've dealt with for, you know, <laughs> 11 and 10 picks and 22 picks in two years. Six picks was a nice little vacation for me. So I'm, I'm excited. They got a good draft class, and I think they're going to contribute in a big way this year. At least some of them. Zay Flowers, definitely. 
Coming up next on the Rise of Syria podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move ahead to the expectations and outlook for 2023. That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. Final segment, we look ahead to the 2023 season. Um, Baltimore, what are the expectations? What are, what are the high-end expectations for what you think the ceiling of this team could be? Ceiling, I think, you know, if, if you're talking high-end expectations, I think they can make the Super Bowl possibly win it. I mean, now that's a tall task because with the way the AFC is is loaded right now, it is it is unbelievable. We're going to see like four or five teams this year that make the playoffs and then four or five teams that don't where you're like, oh, this, this team should have made the playoffs, but the AFC is just, there's no room for them. So for me, Baltimore expectation wise, high end, you have the new offense, Lamar, hopefully unleashed. You surround them with weapons, the defense, most of their guys coming back. You, you would expect that they'd at least compete for the division. Now it's still Cincinnati's division until they give it up. You know, I have to respect what Cincinnati's done over the past couple of seasons. They've won it the past two years, but high end expectations, I would say Super Bowl. My what I want to see from them is at least an AFC Championship game. You know, for me, I think growth is a big thing, and the fact that we have not seen a division them get past a division around for the last decade plus. John Harbaugh is a great coach. You know, he he's led this team to plenty of success. Obviously, the Super Bowl, but it, it, at some point, if John Harbaugh leaves or they decide to move on, there'd be ten teams out the door immediately to go and hire him because he's oh, that good. Yes. But for me, it's like, what? what is, you know, does something just grow too stale? They fired both coordinators over the past two seasons. So unless you want to fire the special teams coach next, I mean, I don't know what changed. <laughs> and special teams is big to the Ravens, so I'm not counting it out. But maybe this is something needs to change. But to me, AFC Championship game is my, at least for what a successful season would be to me, that's my minimum expectation because I think it's just time for them to do it. And you, you can't have these wild card or divisional exits because, you know, you can have a great regular season, but the goal is a Super Bowl, and I think they're positioned to do it. How many wins is a probably m- not the high end, but the reasonable expectation? Are you thinking like 11-ish wins? Uh, reasonable is 11 or 12. I think, you know, well, you want high end probably 13 or 14. Yeah, but yeah. I think if you want a reasonable expectation for them, Cause, 11 cause, or yeah, 12. Because, yeah, you need 10 to make the postseason in the AFC yeah. pretty much. At least and, you hope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so what was it last what was it last year a team hitting 10 wins? and uh, We've had 10 win teams yeah. that didn't make it. Well, the, the last couple of years, there have been something like yeah. that, yeah. What would be, I'm, I'm, I like to eliminate, don't, not injury, but if things, like what is their floor excluding injury? And injury has been the issue that they've had the last couple of years, but if, if it's not injury, what do you think their floor is? I would probably say that their rock bottom floor is probably like eight and nine. Like if, if everything's catastrophe, you know, Lamar doesn't pick up the offense or the offense isn't a fit, the defense regresses, you know, I'd probably say eight, but I'd say like a more reasonable floor might be nine or 10, I think right around that area. So I think it's still, you know, you're still in a, still in contention, (laughs) but I I don't think you're making the playoffs with, you know, at least eight or nine wins. You got to have more than that. Must be nice. Must be nice to have those (laughs) sort of expectations for, for the coming season. Uh, That week eight game. I don't, I'm looking for predictions, but most fans probably see the game on the schedule against the Cardinals as already a win. They've penciled, they've not, they've already put an ink, (laughs) a win. Reasonably speaking, that matchup in week eight, is it um, an expected win, a likely win, or will it be a battle, you think? 
I, you know, I, I hate saying expected wins because, you know, any team can right, go right, and right, beat right. you every week. Like, I think it's a likely win. Like, I think, but it's it's so dependent on Kyler. I think, like, if Kyler isn't back and you're working with Colt McCoy or somebody oh else, like, I, I mean, I, I would probably bump that up to expected win unless something just <laughs> terrible happens. But if Kyler comes back, it it does depend because if that's his first game back, you know, yeah, got to shake off the rust. Does he feel yeah. good on the knee injury? How do you know? Is he confident in the knee that it's not going to fold on him? So that still is a little bit dicey, but if he's had a couple of weeks, and I know you said you expect him to be back for a, a couple of games at that point, if, if he is back for a couple of games, then maybe something does change. And, you know, with Marquise Brown still there, I'm very high on Trey McBride is a guy that could come and step up. You know, Zach Ertz, I don't know his injury projection or injury timeline, but, He'll you know. He'll probably the be back right about week one. So okay. The, okay. Honestly, the, I'm like, you look at the offense – you look at that group on offense. You put Kyler back in it. You feel much better. You put Colt McCoy there. You're like, well, yeah, because it's Colt McCoy. And as much as everyone loves Colt, loves Colt McCoy, you don't want to see Colt McCoy on the field for more than a game or two. Sure. And he's yep. three and three. He's three and three as a starter for the Cardinals over the last two years. Um, and he's he's been more than capable. But he's a guy like you don't if. If there's any adversity, if they fall behind, he's not a guy to bring it back. If everything's on schedule, you're keeping it close, you're a little bit ahead. When he can keep that offense on schedule. Now, put Kyler back in the mix. You've got Hollywood. You've got Zach Ertz and Trey McBride. You've got James Conner, um, Rondell Moore. Um, I, we, we'll see. I, I think Zach Pascal will have a, have a sneaky okay year um, in terms of weapons. And then the defense. Now, the problem's going to be the defense because there's just yeah. not that much talent. <laughs> I pick when I went through you know the early offseason game by game predictions I did of course have the Cardinals losing this game but I think it's going to be an exciting one I I think Kyler will be back about week six I think the projection right now like the the quiet projection not the public projection is weeks (laughs) five to eight because right now they're not putting a timeline on it Kyler wants to be back really bad um but and so but I think week five to eight is kind of the window we're looking at and I think it's going to be earlier in that so I haven't come back in week six and then the the Ravens game will be a competitive game that they end up losing obviously because the talent level in Baltimore is significantly higher than the roster in Arizona um so so I personally think the Cardinals are going to exceed that terrible four and a half win projected win total which is lowest in the NFL uh, <laughs> and, and but I, I think uh, it's because I, I I expect progress. I expect Kyler back. I expect him to play at a pretty good level in the team to progressively the the defense to progressively improve and be more competitive late in the year. But that said, Ravens game at home that's going to be a fun game to watch. And you know a healthy Lamar, a healthy Kyler, ooh that'll be <laughs> that will be exciting. Um, listeners, again, this is Kevin Ostriker. He is the manager of, of the managing editor of, of RavensWire.com. Uh, he did mention earlier he does the Locked on Ravens podcast. Um, if you're looking for more opponent content, well, how else? Is there anywhere else that, the, that my listeners can find you? Yeah, just I'm on Twitter at ChaosStriker34 if you want. But yeah, Locked on Ravens, RavensWire, that's where you can find me. Uh, excellent. Kevin, I thank you so much for your time, and that'll wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Sierra podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. Um, we will, it, w- unless this is the last one I produce, then we have more opponent previews coming probably tomorrow. Thanks for listening, as always.
Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.